that that's kind of why it made sense in a way that the that, that punk spirited culture would come from the right this time around. Ting har ändrat sig. För så var det vänstersidan som bröt normer om sex och kön och fick dem etablerade till att klamra sig till till pärlekedan sina. Nu är er det den unge digitala högersidan som har den rollen. Och de gamla radikala är er de chockerade. Så hur skedde egentligen det här? Angela Mager, selv tilhørende på den noe kjedelige ventesida, har skrevet boka Kill All Normies, som, som handler om hvordan høyresida på nettet har varit med på å, å forme alt-right-bevegelsen og, og etablert en ny høyremakt som blant annet har banet vei for Donald Trump. Hun er i Oslo nu på lørdag for att snakke om boka på, på idéfestivalen Irrgrønt på, på litteraturhuset i, I byen. Veldig, veldig grovt skissert så står den digitale kulturkampen Nagel skriver om mellom unge menn fra, fra steder som den tabubrytende nettsida 4chan på den siden, altså folk som pusher ytringsfriheten til sine yttergrenser og organiserer synkroniserte sjikanangrep rettet mot, mot enkeltpersoner, og på den andre siden tilsynelatende myke och överfölsamma bloggare med många facetterade köns- och etniska identiteter på nätsida som Tumblr. Vapnen i den här striden är er oändliga mängder mema, giffa, videoer och sinte tweets. Snakkar akkurat med, med Nagel om när nya politiska slagmarker och om hvorfor psykolog Jordan Peterson, som det har varit så mycket snak om i det sista, kan vara en god kraft i möte med alt-right. Nagel startet med å forklare hva den moderne kulturkrigen egentlig handler om. Um, in a way, they're kind of a replay of previous culture wars in that they um, cover a lot of the same issues around kind of race, sexuality, the role of women, um, uh, migration, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the book is somewhat American-centric, it's you know primarily based in america so in the american context the big kind of culture wars would be the 60s and then later the kind of um b- backlash against pc i suppose you could call it the in the 90s uh there was the pat buchanan kind of moment uh so essentially it's about the those issues reemerging but in a different form mm-hmm. So previously, it had always been uh, conservatives versus cultural radicals. And what made the online culture wars different is that although a lot of the same issues were cropping up, it was actually, to some extent, liberals, if you like, who had kind of won the previous culture wars, who found themselves in the Mm -hmm. more establishment position. And then it was all these right-wing teenagers basically who were um who were trolling them and who were uh taking the place of the right uh wing of the culture wars but they were different in various ways they they weren't connected to you know the 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 church uh they weren't religious um they were kind of irreverent and adopted a lot of the same styles uh that the left used very effectively in the past yeah because that's one of of the things that really fascinated me because you you describe uh, in your book yeah i think you say something like 
for the first time maybe ever, the right was the side that seems to be having the most fun. You know, the the there's a lot of dark parts of, of the digital right that you describe, but there's always, at the same time, this sort of humor uh, that it's wrapped in. You know, this is meme culture and... Uh, jokes and and trying to offend people that really as you said used to be something that came from the left you know from the the 60s counterculture you tried to say something that made people clutch their pearls and suddenly it's it's switched around how, how did that that happen well i think it was because of the fact that um the left you know the the, the 60s left will say the the kind of cultural radicals of the 60s left were extremely successful. I mean, if you think of, you know, what a defeat it must feel like to be, you know, uh, one of the conservatives who lived through those culture wars, you you would feel like you completely lost. Uh, Because they did in many ways, I think. Mm. People on the left never want to accept this, but I think it's just undeniable, really, um, that uh, at least on the cultural stuff, you know, the, the, the left did win. That that's kind of why it made sense in a way that the that that culture would come that kind of like slightly punk spirited culture would come from the right this time around because you know the boomers are in power now like they're the grandparents kind of and they came from the sixties so you know Hillary Clinton was a perfect kind of embodiment of all of that you know and what what kind of what sort of sixties liberalism looks like when it's hegemonic. You talk about especially 4chan, which started out as sort of a picture-sharing site, but sort of morphed into so much more and went through different sort of iterations of itself. But but how, how did that turn? One thing is that you start sort of playing with images or jokes or uh, sharing a, a certain sensibility, but how did it, 4chan, for instance, go from being... Uh, yeah, a, a place where where especially young men just shared images t- to actually being something political because that's it's a step from just you know joking around to actually trying to change a political agenda or or even managing to to do so. Well, 4chan was from the beginning based in kind of anime fan culture. You know, it had that streak in it always. And the anime fan thing and the kind of preoccupation with Japan has remained like consistently mm. part of of um, of that culture and of of alt right sort of internet culture, I suppose. Um, but also, it was always the, so. There was that. There was also the fact that it was always about anonymous uh, posting, and you know, why bother posting something anonymously if it's not you know, something that you would be in trouble for posting if you did it under your real name. So kind of almost by definition... an incentive. Yeah, so so kind of almost by definition, it was going to be posting things that were kind of playing around with taboo ideas and saying offensive things Mm. that you wouldn't normally be allowed to say and so on. So even long before it had a formal politics, it had those two elements uh, in it. Um, and it also had, 4chan always had this kind of culture of cruelty in it. Um, back in the days when like anonymous, when people were very interested in kind of hacker culture and anonymous were making the news and everything, um, the, uh, the, there was this kind of really romantic view of 4chan. And I always was suspicious of that because, 
um, I always saw that it had this really nasty kind of cruel streak in it and that it was very much about the fun of large groups of people, you know, attacking one Mm. person, bullying someone, trying to make people kill themselves, like really dark stuff. That was always in it. And at the time when, you know, when kind of hacker culture and anonymous was like a very fashionable thing on the left, there was, you know, 4chan were written about in in, um, quite a romantic way. So, um so I kind of wanted to push back against that, you know, as well. So I would kind of reject the idea that 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 4chan used to be something else and then suddenly it went all right. That's not true. Mm. Uh, the the seeds of it were were there from the beginning. Um, but I guess when it took, you could say that the politics board took on an overtly political kind of a a set of political ideas or something. It's been very effective because of this imagery, because there are so many symbols that, you know, are, are very recognizable. It's lots of the meme culture is so visual. And and it, it's if it has sort of a plan or not, it doesn't seem to, to be having a, a plan. It's, it's, it's still, to go back to, to what you started with, you know, with the, 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 the right suddenly using... Uh, things that were were connected to the the left. It seems that the right has suddenly understood and mastered um, the importance of winning culture and able to mm. to win um, to win politics itself. You know, has has the right really just sort of stole Gromsky and 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 run with it, or is this just again just completely dynamic all of it? Yeah, I mean they have. Um... I'm not sure that that was necessarily planned or anything like that. I think it just they they just saw from direct experience how effective it was for the cultural left in the past and so they started you know but if even in so- terms of some of the ideas like you know so when I was an undergrad in college if you were on the left you were probably you had probably some connection to the anti-globalization movement. And of course now the mm. you know the alt right constantly talk about globalists and globalization um you would also probably have been reading Chomsky and had a very strong distrust of the media now who's talking about fake news and you know condemning the media as being propaganda <laughs> and manufacturing consent and everything it's Trump and his kind of followers um you know no, i don't think any major newspaper in america supported him i think they, they, they he was pretty much universally opposed by mainstream media so mm. so it's not like it's not like the right just said, oh, now we're going to cynically kind of adopt these like um, strategies of the left. It's, they did have developed somewhat organically because of the fact that the mainstream media was actually against uh, that that new kind of right-wing politics. And um, mm. and so they, they ended up being the Chomskyans and the the Gramscians and all of that. Um, And their main methods were really cultural. I mean, part of this is also just the hollowing out of political economy in American politics in general. Mm. Like the the politics here are very, very cultural. Um, And, you know, you you do have a few kind of mainstream economists who get, you know, who have columns and things like that. But in general, I do notice here everything is about culture. It's a, it is different in Europe. I think that the political discourse is much more 
it might be like 50-50 economics and culture. Here, it's nearly 100% culture. That's what's talked about all the time. Yeah, and that sort of leads us into speaking about the the other side of the digital culture wars, which has been very much uh, focused on culture, or more specifically on identity. Uh, Could you just explain sort of the the Tumblr's sphere, or or, yeah, the the sort of the opposite of, of the 4chan world? Yeah, so at the same time that all that stuff was developing on the kind of right-wing internet, we'll just say, um, you had uh, a a, a, um, a kind of enemy camp, uh, and I use Tumblr as the the main kind of platform that I associate with this style. Uh, It wasn't exclusively on Tumblr or anything like that. I mean, it was on everything, but Mm. um, so it would be an increased focus on things like cultural appropriation, um, you know, ever multiplying sort of gender and sexuality um, variations or identities, um, you know, uh, so essentially kind of taking the, the cultural gains of the left to the next stage, I guess, you know, and, and trying to rid um the rid the culture of any kind of r- remaining uh uh symptoms of like you know patriarchy and um racism and stuff like that through language and through culture yeah and you say in your book that in 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 some ways at least 4chan culture and the sort of the irreverence within it and then there's sort of the poking fun of 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 basically correct uh, culture that that came as a as a direct response to to the identity politics of places like like Tumblr for instance do, do they share some sort of responsibility for this monster that we're battling on the on the internet well i think it's kind of a bit of ch- uh, uh, chicken or the egg kind of because i don't it's hard to say exactly which came first i mean i'm not saying you know the 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 tumblr culture kind of emerged and then the the far right kind of happened in response to it mm. it's more like symbiotic uh, like they're both aware of each other they both kind of because it's all very young people um they're kind of looking mm. at one another as you know this is what the future is going to be like you know if we don't stop this the other side um so maybe both sides became more entrenched and a bit more extreme and and a mm. bit more um i guess having a sense of immediacy that like something must be done um, that was kind of the feeling I got from it. So that was really what I was trying to capture more than saying anyone is particularly yeah. to blame. Uh, I, mm. I just wanted to say that the, these two cultures were observing each other, mm. were reacting in response to each other. Yeah, Cause you also describe, you know, on the left or in the Tumblr sphere, uh, fairly harsh tactics as well. I mean, you, you mentioned cry bullying. I, could you just explain that concept uh, to to the uninitiated? Yeah, so it just means um, that you use um, a, a kind of, you adopt a, a position of grievance in order to launch really big sort of, attacks against an individual um but instead of of doing i suppose what 4chan do and and sort of relishing being a bully uh they 
they they cry while they're doing it. So they pretend that they're the victim when in actual fact they're they're kind of weaponizing um you know uh, politics and and their their you know their marginal position to actually usually have a have a very large group of people attack one individual. So I describe that in terms of um I talk a little bit about Mark Fisher in the book. Uh, Mark Fisher is m- most famous for his book Capitalist Realism. And um, Mark Fisher was one of the first people to kind of say what a lot of people were thinking, basically, which is that there was this culture developing on the left of mm. bullying and kind of, you know, just like purging people and getting people kicked out of things and this like really extreme purity kind of politics. Um, mm. And, uh, and, you know, he found himself ironically, uh, you know, in, in an attempt to prove him wrong, they just proved him right because he found himself on the receiving <laughs> end of a huge uh, level of attack in his workplace, in the media, online. It was huge. It was absolutely shocking. Uh, and, and so, but the important thing mm. is that they always, the people who are attacking him always did so from the position of you are victimizing me, uh, by what you have said, yeah. even though they actually have a collective power that sort of mirrors fairly perfectly the, the power of the, the mob on, on, on the other side in, in some ways. So, so yeah. what do you think about the, the development of, of, of or the importance of, of identity politics right now? There's so much discussion from the left uh, sort of discussing itself and its its um its uh, focus on identity politics what what's uh, what are your thoughts um well i don't take a simple position of just opposition to identity politics because i kind of accept that identity is important to most people and that um and that there is some identity component to almost every movement I mean, even if a movement has a universalist kind of a philosophy behind it or a goal even, uh, you'll usually mm. find some some identity component to it. Uh, the, the extent to which I'm critical would just be that um, I think it shouldn't be everything. Just to get back to you know, the tablets where did you say there's a, sort of a hardness to, to the as um, what seems to be very sort of soft and, and, and open to, to that part. But there's also, you describe, a sort of a softness <laughs> somewhere at least on uh, in 4chan culture. There's... there's Peep, there's uh, young men who are all f- often frustrated and also sort of trying to find a solution. There's a lot of sort of vitriol and anger, but there's also every now and then, you know, self-deprecation and people trying to sort of find a community. And and what we've seen, not to, to mix him up to in, in everything here, but we've seen for a character such as Jordan, Jordan Peterson, mm. who's suddenly become a sort of a father figure for the old light, at least, if not yeah. the old. Yeah, he has. The old, right. Um, and in some ways, sort of speaking to the specific, sort of specifically men and part of a 4chan culture, how do you see uh, a character such as, such as a Jordan, Jordan Peterson? He's very interesting. I mean, his book is essentially a self-help book. Uh, it's like self-help for men. Um, the the whole self-help mm. kind of genre is almost entirely female. Um, but his that is kind of what he's doing. I mean, that that's the he has lots of other things to say about young and everything. But 
But that's mm. the stuff that really is attracting people and making him a popular figure. He's he's essentially a kind of a liberal of some type. I mean, like a actually, I mean, his role is essentially conservative, though, in the sense that he's, mm. you know, you have these really radical like online movements or at least sort of politics in some form ideas mm. emerging on the left and on the right among younger people and he's kind of trying to regain the center ground so he is i mean literally mm. reactionary in a sense right he's he's trying to cling on to mm. um and and trying to lend some kind of a serious voice to something that is an alternative which is something more centrist politically um i'm not sure whether that's going to be enough uh, to be honest, but it actually reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, Oscar Wilde wrote about how the the biggest kind of um, hurdle to, you know, revolution is actually charity rather than capitalism. Um, you know, in other words, like it, mm. it acts as a as a sort of release valve for tension that would otherwise be building up. And I almost feel like Peterson is that to the alt right. You know, he's uh, he's re mm. he's sort of taking like very young men who are reacting against political correctness, who don't like feminism, who don't like the left, uh, and who are sort of a bit lost and adrift politically. And he's kind of channeling that energy into, into something that he's trying to be constructive. Yeah. So, so they'll end up on the other side as sort of classical conservatives. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's a very mm. individualized sort of response you know like the people always make fun of him for mm. the um you know cleaning up your bedroom and w like walking yeah. what is it like yeah anyway he he um it's an individualized response to what is you know really a bigger much bigger social problem but you know i don't see uh i i can understand his appeal basically and his he his he he is trying to 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 do something constructive and positive in his own way and he is yeah as, as can be read as sort of a part of a change of the 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 right on the internet uh but, but have you seen any other sort of changes f for since your your book came out in 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 the yeah. digital right yeah huge changes really um one of the big things is that in the kind of the excitement of the Trump moment, all of the stuff I was talking about was all kind of in one big um, pot. So the people, the big kind of alt-light figures were having alt-right people mm -hmm. on their shows, on their podcasts. They were all kind of mixed in together. I mean, they were actually socializing together, as we found out later in that BuzzFeed piece mm. that showed like Milo was hanging out with all these, you know, fascists and stuff. Um, one of the things that's happened since is huge division, like very, very bitter kind of divisions, uh, where these groups mm. now don't talk to each other and they actually hate each other. Um, uh, and you, you, another thing is that the, the alt-right in the strict sense, the kind of identitarian white nationalists, have kind of come into their own as a political movement. So they have demonstrations, they have rallies, they have publications, they have, you know, they, they, they really are a political movement now. I was talking about, at the time, what I was trying to describe was something much more uh, fluid and it was more like a style or a sensibility that mm. existed online um, and, and that hadn't kind of uh, branched off into all these distinct 
political groups now. Another very important thing that's happened too is that I think it's become obvious that all of those alt-light figures who had massive, you know, followings on YouTube and Twitter and stuff like that, that they, it has kind of become obvious that they don't really have any ideas, uh, mm. which is the, kind of the worrying thing because like all the, all the, the energy then goes further to the right or else it goes to figures like Peterson, I suppose. But, uh, but the old light people like Milo and stuff like that, I mean, they, they don't really have any solutions. They don't really have, all they're really saying is we need to have a bit of free speech and, uh, you know, we need to return to some kind of end of history, like consensus, basically, mm. which um, that's over, you know, I think. Just a, a, a final question, you know, because to, 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 to bring us back to where we we started, you know, about the the, um, the ability to say th- something that somebody can find offensive. How do does sort of a, a, a shocking, saying something shocking sort of go from go from here yeah i don't know it's very hard to say because i mean at this point it's almost like we have two things happening simultaneously and it this really emerged online first which is why i think it's worth looking at it as an internet-based kind of phenomenon which is that mm. at the same time you have this kind of culture that would be you know if you listen to even like music that's just on the radio in the background when you go into a store or, you know, just that is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. Uh, Movies and TV and stuff like that. You know, in a way, there's kind of almost nothing left to do in terms of shock. It's hard to imagine something an artist could do, for example, that would be that would be shocking in terms of like violence and sexuality and stuff like that. So, so that has kind of been brought to its, to, to such an extreme point that there's nowhere left to go. Uh, and it's almost descended into a kind of nihilism. So you either have to say, you know, shock is only as good as the, as the idea that's being communicated through it. Mm. Um, uh, or you have to say it's some kind of an a priori good, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so that's kind of... Uh, but I, I, I just... Uh, I think it's quite a tired idea in a way at this point. Um, and I think it, you, it's much more worthwhile to, you know, to talk about, like, what are you actually for? And what, what institutions do you want to build mm. in re- in replacement for the ones that you've torn down? Uh, I think that should be much more the mode that the left should be thinking in, like very constructive and uh, and very positive and advancing positions instead of all mm. just trying to tear other things down. Uh, it seems a lot more difficult to be constructive than to be funny or shocking. Well, yes, it is. That's why nobody does it. <laughs> exactly. But thank you so much for, for speaking uh, speaking with me. Oh, thank you. Det sa altså Angela Nagel, og du kan se hur live på Irigrønt på litteraturhuset i Oslo på lørdag. Men det är er også andre ting du kan gjøre. Du kan høre på søsterpodcasten vår da. Den er nemlig tillbaka efter en velfortjent vinterferie. Det er altså podden hvor Håkon Gunnarsen og Kari Slottsven begår dypdykk i Morgenbladets arkiv. Du ska få en liten smakebit her. Kristiania den 29 maj 1850. I morges infant politimakten sig i Herr Harro Harrings logi här i byn. 
bemäktigat sig hans person och förte ham ombord i dampskipet Nordkapp, hvor han förbliver i arrest intill dets utgång. Nå är er det då isilisning från Morgonbladets arkiv med Kari Slottsven, det är er mig och Håkon Gunnarsson och ikke minst tidigare direktör i Fritor och Morgonbladets egen hushistoriker i forbindelse med avisas förestående 200-årsjubileum Erik Rudeng. Hej, välkommen. Väldigt stas att vi har er blivit flere som går och rusler i arkivet här. <laughs> ja, vi ser det alltså. Och idag alltså om Harro Haring. Det är er ett namn kanske någon har hört for min del har hørt det, og vet at det var en politisk eventyr. Men der stopper min kunskap. Men nu skal vi jagge snakke om Haro Haring og Morgenbladet i lang tid. Ja, altså vi skal, vi, vi er i Morgenbladet i 1850, nå helt i starten. For min del har ikke jeg hørt Haro Haring, og hade ikke någon forklart mig, at dette var en person. For en tid tilbake så hadde jeg trodd det var en matrett fra tidlig 50-tall. <laughs> så, Erik Rudeng, hvem var Haro Haring? Du kan abonnere på da i deres egen podcastfeed. Det var alt vi hadde i Morgenbladets podcast en uke her. Om du liker det du hører her, så fortell veldig gjerne venner og familie om oss. Og om du går in på iTunes eller det podcastprogrammet som du, du bruker og gir oss en hyggelig tilbakemelding der, så hjelper det oss forbløffende, Basse. Musikken du hører i bakgrunnen nu er laget av Beglomegg og Oddne Meisfjord. Jeg heter Askel Matre Åsare. Vi høres igen neste uke. Musikk